I do this podcast to talk about finance and economics, and today is the first video where I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk about personal finance. If you're interested just to listen to my commentary and analysis, that's great. I'm also an investment advisor, so if you want help with your personal investment situation, then please use this email address to contact me. It's ken at investhuckleberry.com. So because of my background, so many people ask me about getting their personal financial lives in order. And today I'm going to talk about the two most basic things that everyone should do, which will then tie in directly to the number one biggest investment mistake that most investors make. And just to, just to tell you what those three things are right off the bat, they are one, get out of debt, two, build a cash cushion, and three, don't performance chase. Performance chasing is just a term that means buying something after it's gone up, selling something after it's already gone down. Okay, so we'll jump right into the first one, get out of debt. Mortgage debt is debatable. That depends on your own personal risk tolerance as to whether if you have the money you should pay off your mortgage or not. Let's put mortgage debt aside for a moment. And the same thing with student debt. Maybe you have a political view that we will have a politician at some point that announces a student debt jubilee. Maybe that'll happen. I can't say whether it will or won't. But credit card debt is something that should absolutely be paid off. What I see a lot is people have money in their bank account and also simultaneously are carrying a credit card balance. And I, I understand why people do this. People do it because they have comfort having the cash. They feel like they want to have cash in case of emergency or they feel like they want to have that cash cushion, but they're also carrying credit card debt. If you have $2,000, if you have a $2,000 balance on your credit card, you'll pay $350, $400 a year and still have the $2,000 balance. It's, it's incredibly expensive. The likelihood that you will do better by doing anything else with that money other than paying off their credit card is incredibly low, okay? And so you should pay off the credit card or put as much money towards it as you can. And then in case of emergency, you have the credit card to use for the emergency. You don't have to use the cash. So that's number, that's number one. Don't be getting bled by the credit card companies. Two, some amount of cash cushion in the bank in case you lose your job or in case some other emergency happens. I typically like to start from a baseline of having, of, of recommending six months worth of living expenses in cash. Now, that's different for everyone. If you have an incredibly stable job, if you work for the government, it's basically impossible to fire you and you live below your means, maybe your cash cushion is, is less. If you work in an incredibly volatile industry, then your cushion might need to be a bit, a bit more. Okay, so to tell, talk a little bit about my story when I was starting out, I graduated from Rutgers University. It was a great school. It was inexpensive for someone living in New Jersey. I had a partial scholarship. I ran track. I was a pole vaulter, and my family helped financially. And so when I graduated, I was mildly in debt. So. I got an entry-level job in New York City with one of the top investment banks in the country, and they had a strong culture from promoting from within. So that sounds great, right? And it was great. I was, you know, I was thrilled. But my after-tax paycheck was $300 a week. I was sharing an apartment with some guys from college. I was in debt. 
my net worth was negative, and with my paycheck, I couldn't even pay my expenses to live. I didn't know a lot about my industry. I worked jobs at night and on the weekends just to get on top of my financial situation, to pay off debt and start saving some money. I took classes at night to learn more about the finance business, even though I had studied, I graduated from the business school, an undergraduate. Still, I didn't know what everyone did in all these different departments at an investment bank. I had no real expertise in the business. I had no connections in the business. And if a downturn came and there were big layoffs, I would have been totally stuffed. So I was very, very focused on paying down debt, building a cash cushion, building expertise in my industry. And this is a process of consistent behavior that just takes years and years and years of just grinding out. And so there's a funny story where, uh, uh, where a good friend of mine and colleague at the time, for the first couple of years we were starting out, we worked in lousy jobs together and tough boss and, and all that stuff. And so later, 10 or 15 years later, we're, by that time we had both become much more successful and had a deep understanding of our industry and the, and the people and exactly what we were doing. And we're out at some fast, fancy restaurant in New York City. And you know, I'm not bragging about this, but I'm not being falsely modest about it either. Right? We're talking about money and investing, so there's going to be some discussion about money here. He tells this story, which I always remember and, and laugh about because it's just so, uh, it's, it just resonated with me so much. And he talks about in those early days where you work all week, go out for beer for a couple guys on Friday after work, and then indulge on the way home to stop and grab a slice of pizza. And he talks about standing at that counter and looking at that slice of pepperoni pizza versus the regular pizza and going, that's, you know, it's 50 cents more. I don't know if I could really do it, but it looks so good. And just this agonizing decision. And that resonated because it's a stupid, trivial little thing, but it, it, it represents the sacrifice that permeated my life and his life at the time where every decision that you make is really is really driven by this desire of 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 getting on top of your financial life okay so with that in mind stay with where we're going now we're now going to start talking about performance chasing because finally as over the years that happens i get on top of it i start making more money i start to finally be able to put an investment portfolio together right so now the stage is set. I invest and I lose $10,000, right? The market goes down, I lose 10,000. Oh, the pain, the pain. Lose $10,000, how many slices of pepperoni pizza versus regular pizza did I forego for that $10,000? So that sounds funny, but it's not. That little stupid example represents sacrifices and all the other more serious sacrifices that I made in my life at the time and the other serious sacrifices that most everyone makes in order to get on top of their financial situation. Most people have to forego things to save money. Life is full of trade-offs. So maybe a nice vacation with your partner, your boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife where you really need it and maybe you'll be making memories that you'll remember for the rest of your lives. Maybe you forego those vacations in order to, 
to uh, to figure out how to get some cash cushion and put an investment portfolio together. Maybe you forego spoiling your child with a new bicycle that would have them jumping up and down uh, at, at Christmas time and make them super happy in order to have that financial cushion and investment portfolio. Maybe you're working for years and years longer than you thought instead of retiring. And when you take that money that you've put in these sacrifices for and lose it in the stock market, that's a tragedy and deadly serious. So when we sacrifice so much, it makes us incredibly risk averse and it makes drawdowns to your portfolio so painful. And that pain is usually harmful to your investing. Okay, if you think of the best investors in the world, do you think when the value of their portfolio goes down, they're throwing up in the corner? Investing is an intellectual exercise, but also because it involves money, it's an emotional exercise. Okay, so the best strategy is an intersection of a strategy that's good and also one that you can stick with. Okay, so of all the different strategies, there is some number that are good strategies, right? There's plenty of them that are good, that are different from each other and also good. It's critical, not just that you choose one that's good, but also one that has a level of volatility that you're able to live with and you are not going to be forced out at the, at the worst time. Okay, so what my example was very illustrative to me at an early point and what I'm trying to communicate to you is that you must have a plan, otherwise you're very likely to get swung around by your emotions and that is likely to produce bad results for you. So you must have a plan, you've gotta make sure it's a good plan, objectively, and that it's a plan that you are able to stick with it and then you have to stick with the plan. If you're a human being, you will want to take more risk when you've made money and less risk when you're losing money, regardless of whether the investment proposition is, is better or worse, right? So think about that. We should really be looking to, to, to make more investments when the investment proposition is the best and the least when it's the least. It shouldn't really be driven by whether or not we've been making money or losing money. In the bust in 2008, stocks were getting more and more and more and more attractive to buy, but investors were, be were becoming less and less willing to buy them as the pain grew. They were unwilling to make good investments because they had unrealized losses, or they're just unable to because they were loading up when it was feeling really good to do so, and now they're choking on it. Okay, so this is why owning a basket of assets that don't all move together is very valuable, that are not highly correlated. Highly correlated is just basically saying that they don't go up and down in value all at the same time, right? And then when there are big moves, even if you're not making a strategic decision to, to tilt one way or the other way, even if you are just rebalancing, the effect of rebalancing is that you're selling some of the assets that have gone up into strength and you're using that money to buy some of the assets that have gone down. But much more on portfolio construction later. I just wanted to touch base on those few items. Make sure you subscribe. Also my email, ken at investhuckleberry. Send me an email. I have this, I have this worry that one day I'll be talking about some political economic policy that some you know, president or someone running 
has, and YouTube will deem that as political speech and will, uh, and will make it hard for me to do these videos. So even if you just send me an email with, uh, with your email address so that I can put you on my distribution list, that would be really great. Thanks for listening. Take care.